Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Booze, Booms and Busts. It is another week and we will be discussing further advances in the financial markets while drinking some nice beer. My name is Boa Shoshan and I'm joined as ever by Sam Volkering. Sam, how are you getting on? I'm, I'm getting on lovely. Thanks. Uh, looking forward to Friday beers and uh, talking about everything that's been going on. So much has been going on. I, I, I can't wait to, to dig into this further, but a uh, lot been going on with you. Tell yeah. us about it. Yeah, I'm no longer in the UK. Uh, I have, uh, I'm not really a big fan of lockdowns in general. I don't really, well, personally, I don't really agree with them and uh, they don't really agree with me either. So I, I headed off to Sweden. I am currently in Stockholm at the time of this recording uh, and I shall be here for the time being, probably for the rest of the lockdowns, that's for sure. Uh, but I've never actually been to Sweden before. I've never been anywhere in Scandinavia before, actually. Uh, I certainly don't speak any of the uh, any of the language, <laughs> other than knowing that uh, the word for beer I've discovered is all, um, which actually relates to a beer that we had on this podcast a while back, which was made actually in Denmark. But of course, the, the languages are similar, similar, and the brewery there was called Two All. And I finally, I finally realised where the all comes from. That. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I've been in uh, Sweden for the last few days. Uh, I'm in a nice part of uh, Stockholm called so Söder, or uh, or Södermalm is the is the official name for it. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm here and uh, I bought a load of beer. But Sweden does have some interesting rules when it comes to alcohol. Uh, so Ooh. the teetotaler lobby has a massive uh, amount of control over the government. Hang on, hang on, hang on. The teetotaler oh, yeah, well, yeah. lobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually a thing. It like imagine like Alcoholics Anonymous, but like with serious political clout. A political party of teetotalers. So I mean, I don't trust politicians as it is. And as a general rule of thumb, I have a theory that I don't trust anyone that doesn't drink either, unless there's a legitimate reason for it, being previous alcoholic or whatever. Uh, but a teetotaler party, I, I that's like double mistrust for me. I'm not an, I'm not sure it's an actual party. I think it's more like. <laughs> I think it's more like there are there are teetotalers throughout the political establishment that are uh, that have an agenda. You know, imagine like the Freemasons, uh, and they're all they're all pals with each other. Except, uh, you know, they're in all the different parties, uh, and for some reason they decided they hate booze, so they're going to tax it to high hell. So interestingly, so I've got I've picked up loads of booze from the supermarket, but uh, the supermarket uh, beer. You can only get alcohol that is up to 3.5% ABV. So I've picked up loads of beers, oh. and uh, they are all exactly 3.5%. Uh, there are there is plenty on display. They even sell Brewdog here, which I thought was uh, quite interesting. That's interesting. Um, yeah. And yeah. they also sell um, Brooklyn Brooklyn Lager as well. Ah. But, uh, I have gotten a lot a lot of Swedish ones. But if you want to get some actual decent heavy booze, you need to go to uh, the government uh, the government's <gasps> monopoly. Uh, you know, this, the, imagine the teetotalers have, uh, you know, they, they've said you can only buy booze from us. So there's a, a government uh, liquor <laughs> store called System Bolajet. I don't know how it's actually pronounced. It has a, a particular it's logo. A government liquor store. Yeah, yeah. It, no, it's, it's fascinating because it's just like Cuba with cigars, right? So wow. in, in Cuba, you get all different brands. You know, you get Cahibas, Bolivars, Romeo and Juliet, all that. Yep. But they yep. all get sold by the one state-owned Cigar company, Cuba Tobaccos, right? Uh, and it's just the same in Sweden with any booze that's above 3.5% ABV. It all needs to be sold by this state-owned liquor company called System Balajet. 
Um, and so I haven't, I haven't been in one of those yet to, to get some of the, get some of the harder stuff. It's meant to cost an <laughs> arm and a leg. Apparently if you're, if you, you want to get a, a, you know, you want to get hammered on the cheap, you need to go for a wine here. And of course they've got their own, they've uh, got their own national drink called snaps, not schnapps, uh, which I need, I need to try out. Before the moment, I have got uh, quite a few of these 3.5% uh, ABV bottles. So maybe, you know, maybe because it's so light, I'll be able to go through like four in the same time <laughs> that you go through two. Uh, may, uh, maybe I'll be able to rate them on the way. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where I am at the moment. Sam, what, what are you drinking at the moment? Uh, and uh, I'll, try and, I'll try and pretend my, uh, my, my bottle here of Falkol uh, has a higher ABV. Fol Did you say Falkol or Falkol? <laughs> well, I, I don't know the pronunciation, but it is spelled like folk and then all, but the O-L wow, has, has umlaut. So I think it's Falkol, but I don't know. Well, so the first one I'm drinking today is a, to be, to be honest with you, it is a wonderful looking can. Uh, it is a, it's a sort of black labeled black topped can uh, from the Northern Monk Brewery. Um, right. And it is the, their OFS 004, a DDH Kfeek double IPA. So awesome. while you enjoy your little tipple of your 3.5 percenters, I'm drinking a big ass can of nine percent Greek double IPA. How many units is that? Uh, four. That's four UK units oh, in yeah. this can. Nice. Um, yeah. So looking forward. To, I, I, I tell you what. I, I as soon as I opened the can, I got a wonderful aroma out of it. Um, I've had a few sips already, and it is very, very nice so far. So. Uh, this this is off to a cracking start and looking forward to consuming the rest of this of by which like you say you've, you'll probably have four to my uh to my one in this situation but um, yeah i've actually yeah. almost already finished my first one um <laughs> which was yeah uh, uh, if you could record this for me actually i'll give you a score right here yeah hang on uh, bear with me let me I, I i hadn't i hadn't prepared that you'd be consuming them so quickly it's basically like a shot of beer usually you know it can kind of come halfway through the episode and actually start to record what you're uh what you've drunk but now that you're literally ripping through cans um okay well, yeah i'm good to go what, what is this one it's like drinking water um <laughs> it's, uh, so this is I, I this tastes very much like a lager but it's a bit a bit browner than normal, so I think they've done. I think they've added something else to it. Anyway, mind the spelling here. So it's uh, this is Falkol, and I think Falkol is a brewer, and the name of it is Bergsvik's Briggery, I think. But the pronunciation, my, I will be butchering the pronunciation. If we have any any Swedish listeners, I'm sorry for offending you, uh, and you or hopefully you just find this funny. It, so this is spelled B U R G S V I K S. That's the first word. And then it's B R Y double G E R I, and then it says underneath, "Olkopter pa Gotlandsk vis." Though of course, I, I'm there's probably loads of uh, you know. Are you, sure, are you sure it's not Welsh? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, but there's a com the, combination of letters there that aren't supposed to go together. J's in my life until I came to Stockholm. <laughs> they they use that for everything. Uh, but yeah, no, I would rate this. Um, I would give this. Um, let's see, I would give this. I think I would give this an A. Uh, so it goes down very easily, very light, um, and yeah, and it's, it's it's really quite refreshing. Anyway, I'll I'll, uh, 
uh, yeah, sorry, sorry for such a, a rapid review there. Uh, we should get on to the financial markets. Of course, it's been a pretty crazy week. Uh, Sam, yes. what have you, uh, what are you, uh, like, what, of course, we've got the election. Uh, well, let's start with the well, election. Let's start there because, well, I remember this time last week, we're like, well, next, next week's episode, we'll be able to talk to you about who the next president of the United States is. And we, we, we can't because we don't know. We think, we think it may be, well, I think it, well, it looks like it could be Biden, but it could go back to Trump. Um, what we absolutely know for certain is this is going through the courts because uh, Trump has very early on positioned uh, this as, as, as a number of things need to go through the courts. Uh, the, the validation of votes, uh, recounts are no doubt coming because some of the margins that appear to be in some of these states are so thin that we're talking about the same sort of numbers that we saw in Florida. Um, was that back in, was that back in 2000? Was it the Florida recount? Was that between um, Bush Gore. and Gore? Yeah. 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 And, you know, we, I think we're going to see that, but we're not going to see it in one state. We're probably going to see it in like three, three or four states. There's probably going to be a recount. Yeah. All, and the, but importantly, it's the, it's those swing states, right? I mean, that, I mean, that's the reason why it is so close because they are swing states, but at the same time, yeah. that makes the result could be vastly different from what you think. So I actually still think, Trump's going to win, uh, which everyone apparently seems to not believe anymore. But you know how I like to say that uh, the night is always darkest before the dawn. And it really does look pretty pretty dark out there for the dawn, right? Yeah, well, so you, you're right, because so this, I mean, this is, it's just, just mental how this has unfolded. Like, going into it, like before there was a single vote counted, um, Biden was a raging favorite. And, um, we, we, we know this, and the bookies had him sure. All the polls said he was going to win it. Then the votes started coming in, and then it was like, Trump's going to win this thing. It's just red state after red state. He's, getting, he's smashing the votes. He's, he's pulling it all in. And then all of a sudden, Biden blew out. Uh, I was speaking to my, to my brother, and he was like, man, Biden's like blown out. I'm going to put some money on this because um, it's probably going to come back in again. And then Trump was like short favorite, and then – then it flipped again when these these mail-in votes started rolling through, and so the whole picture's just changed um, and flipped on a dime from one extreme to the other. And now it's sort of then it then it sort of went all the way back to Biden. Now it's sort of come back more again to Trump. It, it's it's the it's the biggest roller coaster of an election I've ever seen, and I do love the theatre of it all. Um, it's it's been fantastic to watch because as it swings and 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 sort of goes through these ups and downs is you can you can follow sort of segments of the market uh with with how that's tracking so um you know there was there was a bit of a a run with the with the, the tech stocks and then they they came off a bit um pot stocks marijuana stocks related stocks cannabis related stocks they sort of when, when it looked like Trump was winning, they kind of fell a bit, but now it looks like Biden's probably coming back. So they're now started to boom again. Um, and they've had a, they've had a cracking little run. So it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's exciting because on one hand, we just don't know what the outcome is. And then the other is that you, there, you know, there are little trading opportunities in this. I mean, if you're a day trader amongst all this, this is, I mean, this it's what a time to be alive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You must. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it could be absolutely brilliant or really, really bad, depending on uh, which way you're, where, you know, how well you catch it. Because there must be some uh, 
some pretty wild moves. I mean, just looking at what's gone in the, on in the Chinese stock market and how it's behaved around the election, I, I find quite interesting. There was somebody on Twitter uh, who, who was saying, um, you know, just imagine what it would be like if, after all this anticipation that Biden was going to be the winner, and mm. this somehow being a good thing for a stock market, imagine if it was like a massive sell the uh, buy the rumor, sell the news event, and after Biden what is you know crowned, that the market collapses. You know, wouldn't it, wouldn't that just be a perfect sort of twenty twenty moment? And uh, <laughs> you know, I do. I'm I'm I think you know the the stock market in general. When you're talking about just uh, the rally that's uh, you know gone through the Trump era. I don't think it will be sustained through a Biden era. Maybe other things will boom, but I don't think you know Biden would be as good for the stock market uh, as as Trump would be. And so, I, you know, the idea that there would be a Biden collapse would, is becoming kind of compelling for me. Yeah, it's not a bad point. I I I tend to agree that I I get the feeling that a a, a four years of a of a, a Democrat government isn't going to be the greatest thing for the US market. So that, that maybe, and, and in that sense, I'm almost, I almost kind of want Biden to get in because I just want to see what happens. It's mm. almost like if Trump does win it, you kind of know the playbook already and you sort of know what, what direction things are likely going to take. Um, but Biden, I think there's actually more uncertainty with the US market in particular, um, with, with, with Biden getting in. And, and, and so in that sense, I'm, I am a little excited, weirdly, <laughs> if he does get in, just to see what happens. Because I love, that's the thing about about this at the moment, I think, is that the uncertainty is is kind of exhilarating because there's, you know, knows. <laughs> it, it, it's a big change, you know, and who really yeah, yeah. knows? And yeah. So you're... Like you're rejecting a Trump sequel in favor of the new IP, right? You 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 don't think that this uh, you know this is not this this franchise isn't amusing enough to have a sequel. What we need instead, clean slate, new intellectual property, and it's called Biden. It just happens to be sort of very very old, and it might uh, really the the main lead role. There'll be a lot of uh, a lot of supporting work from uh, a certain uh, certain Miss Harris, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, a Biden government is a Harris-led government. Let's 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 not sort of pull any punches about that because he's basically got dementia, or at least the early onset of it. So you know, she's she's pulling the strings there, and I, and that's the 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 end game is that he'll probably die in office, and she'll just assume the presidency. Um, but you know, like sequels are never quite as good as the original. So you know, I'm sure I'm sure it'd be fun with Trump, but it's kind of like, yeah, all right. Well, we've seen that movie, and it was interesting, and it was a good laugh. Um, the sequel's not going to be quite as good, but so let's, you know, let's just go on to the next one and, and see, see what that has to dish up at. at up yeah, such, such is the life of a uh, of uh, an election observer outside of the U.S. Just just give us the circus, all right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, but it's it's like watching it's like watching a great um, sports contest of which you give you just don't give a shit about either team competing you just want to see a lot of goals right um mm. that's kind of how i feel with this is that i don't really at the end of the day i don't really give a shit whether it's biden or trump um but i just want to see a lot of goals i want to see some action and i think i think biden might actually give us a bit more action 
um, than Trump because it's going to be so different to what we've been used to for the last four years. Some might say it's kind of going to be like what it used to be with like Obama and stuff like that. It was like, well, yeah, but maybe it won't be. Maybe it'll be this whole, I mean, because America is far more divided now than it ever was under an Obama administration. So um, old Joe's got to step into that. So I, I think it's, you know, what a time to assume the presidency when you're in your late seventies and, and, you know, your mental capacities are probably dwindling. Um, so <laughs> I don't know. I think it's just, just going to be, a, it's just going to be a real roller coaster going forward. Yeah. There was a, there was a, someone was, you know, posting images of what, uh, you know, what presidents uh, in recent history have looked like uh, before, uh, you know, before they assumed the presidency and then afterwards. <laughs> yeah. and so, of course, you got, uh, you know, you got Clinton looking a lot older, hair going white. Biden's second white. photo will just be a casket. <laughs> no, so, but no, that was the thing. So you got one through them all. Obama is one of those, you know, those guys that aged like 20 years and eight Well, years. he went gray, didn't he? <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty much. But it's more, it's just like, he, he lost Bags. weight as well, as well as his skin going, you know, he's becoming a lot more gone. But what, no, but the one Biden's second photo was, uh, so it has Biden at the beginning of his presidency, and then the second one is Kamala Harris, right? You know, he doesn't make it. When you talk about dying in office, I mean, you're, you're literally dying in office is, uh, might be Biden's fate. But I mean, I mean, I do have a dog in the fight. I mean, I, I, I do, uh, if, I, if, you know, I wanted to pick between one and the other, uh, I'm kind of a single issue guy when it comes to the US uh, because it's more on the foreign policy side. So I would prefer somebody who really confronts China uh, and, and the Chinese Communist Party yeah. and really addresses yeah. that. And <laughs> Biden didn't do any of that at all. He did the opposite of that when he was vice president. Uh, and Trump is, is, has managed to, uh, you know, single handedly, effectively turn the entire developed world's narrative on China around. So you can say he, he did, he's not doing it the right way. You can say he's doing it for the wrong reasons. Ultimately, he is the guy that's managed to uh, at least, you know, change the narrative. So I would prefer a, a Trump presidency rather than a Biden presidency. Because I'm kind of a single, say, relatively single issue guy when it comes to you know, the presidential election. But on the on the financial market side, I think there's one thing that I, I think we w would be it'd be interesting to discuss. Have you taken a look at a chart of the VIX uh, just over the last five days? It is really, you know, it is incredible. So. You know, a while back, if you looked maybe two, two months ago, and there are a few articles about it, was how the VIX futures market was uh, effectively pricing in. There was such a, a, a difference between uh, the VIX futures for, uh, you know, November, or at least the, the VIX future that expired closest to the election. Uh, there was such a big spread between that one for November and for the December um, and October. You know, such a big difference because there was so much uncertainty about what the election was, would be and what it would do to the stock market, that the volatility index, the VIX, uh, you know, it was pricing in the biggest, the most volatile event. It was such a, such a break from, from the norm between October and December that this was the most volatile event that the, the market had ever priced in for these futures, right? And, uh, of course, we've seen a big buildup in the VIX over, over you know, the last, last month, ultimately, as we yeah. run up to this event. Uh, but it seems to have peaked uh, actually in late October. And yeah, when you look yeah. over the past five days, you actually look at the election itself. So the VIX was going at um, <laughs> about 35, which is, which is a high VIX reading, certainly in recent history. Uh, and then you know, on the election, this damn thing has just collapsed. So ah, it's gone, it's, it went from just, just through that day, 
just for, it's like know, a set of stairs literally from monday it's a set of stairs right yeah it's like <laughs> just going just down the, you know, volatility is just falling down the stairs and even though we don't know the what the election result is that it's just still collapsing so we're we're now going down sort of the we're now in sort of mid-20s uh which, it's it's uh, do you know what it's so it's the same pattern every day though right so it starts off it trades sort of sort of flat but a little up and down during the day and then at the yep. very end of the day bang it just shuts down same yep. next day trading pretty steadily through the day end of the day bang shuts down next day starts off a bit lower again trades sort of a little bit up bang straight down next day and it's the same pattern every single day this week I'm literally like a set of stairs it's unbelievable to watch the yeah the guys who actually saw the the you know the the vix pricing in november supposedly the most you know the most volatile event in history the guys who actually sold those vix futures and called bullshit on that uh they're going to be pretty damn minted if this if oh, this is what the most money, volatile mate. event in history looks like uh yeah you're and, and you and you said that was bullshit and you shorted it the very very wealthy individuals indeed i must say yeah i mean if you if you had the if you had the whereabouts to to trade the vix in in you know the way you should have from the basically from the lockdowns and the 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 crisis in in march and the market collapse in march then through to this and 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 this this election and you've been you've been on the right side of the swings I have no doubt there's been a lot of money made just by trading in and out of the fix. Yeah, yeah. I you know I remember losing a lot of money at the at the beginning. I you know I can I thought that uh, there were so many people shorting VIX. They were they were selling options uh, at the beginning of lockdown. That the big spike it had wasn't uh, you know the 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 initial big spike that it had wasn't going to last. And it was going to, uh, you know, it was, it was um, that there was going to be so much vol selling, effectively, uh, either explicitly or implicitly, from you know all these passive fund funds buying and things like that, that the initial rise in vol that we saw at the beginning of this year wasn't going to continue, uh, and you know I got stopped out of the trade and was and was you know I was humbled by the market, uh, and I think it was just yeah, if memory serves, it's kind of um, I think this would have been in sort of early february or or maybe later on in february uh, and then you know the vix went to this absolute incredible spike that you know of course i got stopped out so i wasn't brutalized by it but the vix ended up <laughs> going up to 82 and if you yeah. just you know you just look at the vix for a year to date um and you look at what how diminished the, it, the you know the election action is relative to what happened in march it's really quite uh, it's quite incredible yeah, I mean, if I, I don't, I don't trade the VIX, um, but I do keep an eye on it, and and just, I mean, because I just don't fancy my myself as much of a short term shot caller, <laughs> basically, which is why I tend to steer a little away from it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I tell you what, if you've got the if you've got the gusto to go and have a crack at it, you know, there are some there are some great ways to play. I mean, it, like if you if you're looking to to trade on you know, on, on, on major sort of shape, global shape-shifting events. Um, and you, 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 you know, in and out the VIX and, and trading on the VIX is, uh, I mean, what, a, what an exciting way. I mean, you, it's, I know. So what we've seen during this lockdown, so obviously there's this whole, you know, the Robin Hood um, phenomenon where, you know, a lot of punters, 
sort of have come to to trading stocks and day trading you know the whole dave portnoy thing during the lockdowns and and the sort of remnants of that you know i have no doubt that trading in and out of things like the vix or different um you know leveraged etfs or things like that it's more fun than sports betting like if if you approach it in the right way and i think you use you know investors use money that you know you can have a bit of a punt with and you can play some of these things the way you see them out i think i think it's way more fun than sports betting and i love a good sports bet don't get me wrong but i think some of these things like the vix or um, you know, some of the short positions you can take. I, I find that more enjoyable. Maybe I'm just a, a finance and investment nerd, but I think that's, I think we, we're seeing a whole new generation of, of people around our age uh, that, that uh, have got a whole new interest in the market thanks to some of the events that are happening around the world and the way that stock markets are moving. That there are some issues obviously around, around, you know, people trading options and futures and derivatives and all that sort of stuff. They don't really know what they're doing. Um, and, and I don't, don't necessarily encourage anyone to do anything or step into this arena with a complete blindness to, to how it works or, or using, you know, funds that you can't actually afford to risk. But, um, Jesus, it's fun. It's, it's so much more exciting than, than, than anything else. I, I love it. I don't know about you, but I think it's great. And I think that it brings a whole new generation of investors to the market that are willing to get involved and learn. And okay, you, you know, some will get burnt and, you know, we all have losing positions at some time. Um, but you learn from those. And I think, I think ultimately that's probably a good thing long-term for a whole, you know, my generation, your generation, the generation below, uh, and the generations that come for this interest that will get passed down through the generations in, in investing and in the markets. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there, there, you can sort of, you can look on both sides of it. Right. I mean, with you, you like you could take it from the angle that um, you're sort of, if you take it from the sort of gambling angle that you're introducing all these, all, all these youngsters to gambling when they're younger and that's all it is, and that's all they're going to see it. You know, trying to make a quick buck kind of thing. I, I, I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna ask. I mean, what do you? Well, think? they still learn when they do it right. I, my, I, I like to think some I gamblers mean, don't, right? That's that's the whole thing. Some that's some do, some don't, but but even even so-called seasoned pros still don't necessarily know what the hell they're doing. Mm. Oh, by the way, I've I finished my second one. Um, <laughs> this is uh, summer in Sweden. And uh, you know this is lit, written in English, so uh, that's you know, easier to genuine. pronounce. <laughs> they're, just, they're just rinsing the tourists here by giving them something they can. Uh... Oh damn! Let's see. Oh ah! Oh wow! This is this is a real twist. Oh hello! Uh, this is a Norwegian brewery. Oh hello! So, as Norwegians, we have a close relationship to friends and family in Sweden. This is our tribute to our childhood summer holidays in Sweden: soaking oh. up the sun, drinking lemonade, enjoying oh. life with friends. Oh, I'm sweet. Aww. So this is Hand Brigeriet, which I'm guessing is the name for a brewery, but um, Fruited Summer IPA. And of course, yeah, I, I, I love that. I'm actually looking for the ABV when I know that the ABV... It's 3.5, is isn't it? Do you know, I've just... written that down even before you'd said. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just automatic when I'm doing this on these podcasts, just looking for that 3.5. Uh, but yeah, here's the Norwegian one, Summer in Sweden. Uh, and yeah, that was actually, that was good. Uh, I'll give that an A+, I think. I get the feeling um, that, it, that there may not be too many Bs and above from the 3.5% uh, 
uh, uh, uh, cohort that you're that you're working your way through? Well, maybe. Uh, I mean, I've just opened my third one, and uh, I'm oh dear Sam, this uh, the smell of this. Uh, this is this is this is not going to be a bee. <laughs> well, oh. I might as well mention what I'm on because I'm on to my second one as well, and I'm oh, drinking a, a a Keller Pills, uh, a a which is a hot bitter lager beer. Uh, from the Lost and Grounded Brewery. Um, now, the Lost oh, and Grounded Brewery, brewery is... Where's, where's this place located? Ah, Bristol. So, Bristol Brewery. 4.8%. Uh, so, it's 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 reasonably light. I mean, it's not as light as the stuff you're drinking, but it's 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 down there. Um, so, look into it. It's, it's not... It, I'm, I'm, to be fair, off the bat, it's not the greatest smell out the can. But um, I'm hoping that the taste does improve from the aura. I, I should probably also review, review uh, give a rating for the Northern Monk OFS 004, 9% um, DDH Gveek double IPA. Uh, I enjoyed that a lot. Um, that was, a, you know, for a 9% beer, that barely touched the sides. Um, uh, it's, oh, okay. oh, it's almost like uh yeah that that was that was lovely really nice a little bit of fruitiness about it um very not didn't drink like a nine percenter at all not even close i would have i would have thought off the bat that was probably somewhere in the high fives or, or low sixes but that was very enjoyable the ofs 004 even get my little asterisk next to it um for a uh -huh. repurchase down the track uh, I'm going to give that a, I'm actually going to give that a double B minus, double B minus. Very enjoyable. Oh, good. There's, um, you know, I was going to, we, we probably should be talking about the, uh, the great Bitcoin rally. Uh, it, are the rumors true that it is over $15,000, Sam? Well, it was actually very close earlier this morning to, it was very close to $16,000. But at the moment, and literally as we speak, and I'm looking at it, it is 15,544 US dollars, which Good is Lord. a significant leg up. I mean, so we're talking over, we're, it's, we're getting up towards 12,000 pounds now uh, for a single Bitcoin. Uh, and, and in the last week since we last recorded, it has gone on a bit of a tear. It's uh, 15, 15% up in seven days, um, which, you know, 15%, you know, kind of like, well, that's not, it's not a huge amount. Um, but when you're talking about a $15,500 uh, value for one Bitcoin, it's, it's a considerable dollar amount. But, you know, the interesting thing as well is that Bitcoin will clearly and does get a lot of the attention. Uh, but Ethereum is on its own little run at the moment as well, which no one's really giving great attention to because Ethereum 2.0, the next big Ethereum upgrade is literally uh, on the verge of, of coming out. And so Ethereum's also up 15% in the last seven days. But interestingly, uh, year to date, Ethereum is up almost twice as much as Bitcoin since January the 1st. So, you know, it's, it's, I think it's very easy for, for people to get caught up in Bitcoin because that's what a lot of people like to talk about. It's kind of the entry point level into crypto. Uh, but Ethereum, I think people still really underrate how much potential Ethereum does have. Um, and, it, and it's delivering in spades as well. 
Well, you know, you know my feelings on this, Sam. I, you I, know? Do, I do, I do. I mean, but tell our I, tell our listeners your you, tell our listeners your position on this. Well, I'm uh, I'm 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 quite quite strongly, you know, over time, and I've you know I've dabbled in all, in altcoins. Um, probably, you know, the most money that I did make in 2017 was from the altcoin space, um, I, in 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 purely a speculative capacity. But the thing with Ethereum. Um, I really just over time I have become a Bitcoin maximalist, um, <laughs> and Ethereum. There's just the scandals. Uh, there's Vitalik Buterin, it, you know, the him saying, you know, uh, something that I always always sort of sticks in my mind is with uh, Vitalik saying that uh, censorship is censorship is fine provided it's the good guys who are in charge. Um, and you know, just over time, I've become more sort of more of the opinion that the Bitcoin is, you know, it's the just as you were saying, the sequels, right? The sequels never beat the original. I am I think that the Bitcoin uh, price is it functions as land does in the uh, in the crypto space generally. So uh, just as land values in uh, the real world. It, you know, in areas of economic development, the land values will absorb all of the uh, all of the activity, all of the uh, progress that is made uh, above it. You know, of all the buildings and all, all the people doing stuff. The land values ultimately reflect that. I think Bitcoin reflects, and the Bitcoin price will reflect all of the development that takes place in the crypto space. Um, now, you know, I'm I'm not a uh, I'm not a, a a crypto expert by any measure, and I'm really much more of an observer than I am a participant. You know, though I've been holding Bitcoin for many years, uh, well, many years. I mean, the damn thing's barely older than a decade at this rate. But um, just in terms of the, you know, just the my my approach to it has become, I, I'm Ethereum needs to just the way it's it's presented as being a, a commodity, as being energy. Uh, rather than being uh, a form of gold, as you know, Bitcoin was modeled on. You know, Ethereum's trying to be this utility asset. I'm not so sure it needs to be uh, something that uh, you know that goes up in price, rather than something that is simply used an awful lot. You know. Yeah, I, I I get I do get what you're saying, and I think this is a fundamental issue that I've always had with. Uh, people's view on, on, on cryptocurrencies is because like all, all assets that hold a value, we all want to bring that value back to some form of, of tangible benefit. So what I mean by that is that when we, when people look at Bitcoin and, and I'm guilty of, of doing this as well, uh, I, I should, should probably add is that the first thought that most people have is what is the price of bitcoin and it's and a conversion it's a conversion back into fiat money whereas the part of the reason why bitcoin is becoming valuable in fiat currency like usd is because of the effective abuses of usd by central banks and government and that bitcoin can actually exist separate from that so Yes, it's going up in value relative to fiat currencies that are getting basically hoard out by governments and central banks around the world. 
one Bitcoin has never lost or gained any value relative to its initial genesis of one Bitcoin. So one Bitcoin will always and forever be a single Bitcoin, but its purchasing power in the world is what is going to vary based on what is effectively a belief system that is still backed by something. It's backed by energy and, and output um, and, and storage and, and provenance and a whole bunch of other things that, that, that money is also based on uh, since it's not backed by physical you know, assets like gold. So in, in that sense, and I've said this a few times before, is that the longer view I've always had with something like Bitcoin is its capacity to be a universal borderless currency for everyone. And that when we get to a point, and I believe that we will get to a point where an entire supply chain operates and is, is economically based on Bitcoin, that's when the real value gets unlocked for it in terms of, and I, and I, I, th- I, I, I referenced something like, um, like a, a farmer that plants um, crops and when he pays for the seed and the, the fertilizer and the machinery for those crops to, to, to do that agriculture, he pays for those things with Bitcoin. And when he sells his crops to, uh, to, the, to the distributor or the supermarket or whatever, he's paid by them for those crops in Bitcoin. Um, and, and the supplier to him, you know, he pays them in Bitcoin. And the supermarket, when you go to buy that, that, that crop, that, you know, whether it be carrots or potatoes at the supermarket, you pay in Bitcoin. So that you're not talking about US dollars or pounds or anything like that. We're talking about Bitcoin as the standard unit of currency. And that, you know, your potato is not a Bitcoin. Your potato is, you know, 50 Satoshi, which is the, it's like cent, what cents is to a dollar, Satoshi is to a Bitcoin. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, and that's the way that I believe that, that the fundamental monetary revolution that it's ushering in. And like you say, it's barely, it's barely 10 years old now. So it, it's, you know, it's, it's not even, it's not even in its infancy. It's in its cellular division state at this point. <laughs> right. um, that's how early on, I believe that this, this, this revolution is actually in. So, you know, yeah. Yes, I'm all for you know investors making money and and you know investing in it and and you know making fiat money value, you know returns and all that sort of thing, and and you know people can take advantage of that and, and should take advantage of that, but longer term I believe that there's a fundamental part of what's happening that is changing the very fabric of finance and global finance as we know it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think you know when you're talking about how uh, Bitcoin is being is used as the unit of currency, you know, in this, uh, you know, in the in this, uh, if we imagine this scene of you know the farmer and agricultural goods being exchanged using uh, using Bitcoin as the unit of currency, well, you can see that. I mean, that is effectively what takes place so far within the crypto ecosystem. So, and that that goes back to this idea. Uh, of uh, like for me that bitcoin forms land within the within the crypto ecosystem because it's you know it's limited just as land is and all of the the development that goes on in crypto i think still will be absorbed into the bitcoin price in your in usd yes but it it already uh, just as you're talking about bitcoin being used as the primary unit of exchange 
I think that, I mean, we're all, we already see that in the crypto space as a whole. People still count their crypto stack, even if they own lots of different other cryptos. Well, uh, and you know, the, there could be exceptions to this, but I, you still see people counting their stack in Satoshis, right? They're still measuring the value of their crypto portfolio in BTC, and then they measure it in USD following that BTC value. You know, people still are using it as that unit of currency within the crypto space. So they could be making lots of money with Ether. They can be making lots of money with, you know, or, you know Monero, they get with Flexa, with all, all these other different cryptos you get out there. Um, but they're still measuring it in BTC, which I, so, you know, we're seeing sort of, if it, maybe yep. it will expand yep. beyond that. It'll be used uh, for other things. But you are seeing it already as, the, it is the global reserve cryptocurrency that exists. Yeah, yeah, Everyone, yeah. And I don't think we see that quite so much with Ether, uh, which is uh, because it, it functions more as a commodity, and, you yeah. know, almost like bandwidth, almost like oil, uh, yeah. that is expended in order to do other things with it, rather than something that is limited and, uh, well, or limited to the degree that it's really hard to create and stuff like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And, and, and you're, you're, you're right, you know, and that's why there are parallels because of the things that we know and that we've known in, in, in commodities and, and, and finance, global finance for, you know, centuries now is that, you know, that, and that's why the comparison is drawn sort of between Bitcoin being more like gold and oil being more like energy or, or oil um, is because they have different functions within that system, within that financial system. And you're right, you know, Bitcoin is and can very well be the, the, the central uh, go to ref referral point for for the value of all these. You know, if you know, you can look at. You know, you might have you know a, a stash of fifty ether or thirty ether or ten ether or one ether, um, and and relate that to Bitcoin, and that's you know that's fine. And I think that that's probably how this ecosystem, you know, or this financial system, this new financial system, will expand. But within that, there's still a role to play for cryptocurrencies like Ethereum um, as as, as in much as there's a way that, um, you know, the, the way now that we send money from, you know, from bank to bank, from country to country, and it goes through, you know, we talk about the fractional banking system and then there's, you know, counterparties that, that balance out the, you know, the different accounts for, for major banks from each country and so forth. You know, they all operate on, on, on channels and through infrastructure that has been built up over, you know, a number of decades. That, that same sort of infrastructure needs to exist within the crypto space in order for, the, for transactions to take place or, you know, for something like Bitcoin um, perhaps to be, you know, to be wrapped up and, and, and packaged and shifted uh, into, into something like Ether so that it can then come out into the old sort of financial system. You know, these sorts of infrastructure style cryptocurrencies or, or networks. I mean, it's, it's almost, I almost don't feel like something like Ether should be called a cryptocurrency because it's not really a currency. It is a, it's a, it's a facilitation token that, yeah. that facilitates uh, uh, whether it be smart contracts or activity. Yeah. On, on the network. So one of the things in the maturity mm -hmm. of, of what's happening with cryptocurrencies, again, it's that fucking term cryptocurrencies, but crypto assets, the facilitation of the maturity of the crypto asset space is how we talk about them 
and the terms we use to refer to them because because they're so new and most people really don't understand the inner mechanisms of them we we talk about them in relation to things that we do know so we talk about bitcoin being like gold or a um a hard asset or whatever you know or land you know we talk about in the way we things we know but in reality they are things that we have not known or seen or experienced before they are new things that need to find their own definitions and, and, and descriptions in in sort of the, their place in in global finance and ethereum's the same it's not a currency um in the sense that that, that bitcoin is and should and, and always was intended sort of to be it is more a facilitation asset that helps you know transactions and and uh, activity take place so that does hold value uh it doesn't necessarily hold dollar denominated value but that is inevitably what people will will, will bring it back to um but there is still value in that network i believe and and some of the others and don't get me wrong there's a lot of crap out there there's a lot of crap companies a lot of crap banks the financial system's got a lot of crap in it as well and we're just finding our way because it's so new and it's, there's a lot of development. There's a lot of things that are going to probably happen in the space that we don't know that's going to come that will help it grow, mature, maybe bridge between the existing financial world that we have uh, and it. But I think, I think that there's a, I think that if you wanted to bring it all back right now to a singular point, then yeah, you, Bitcoin will absorb a lot of it but I think that there's still plenty of other scope within the space uh, that, there, that there's sufficient opportunity, you know, to make some short-term money, but then also to, to have longer-term value as part of your overall sort of wealth portfolio, if you want to. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I agree with that. It's just, no, I just, have, I just, have, for some reason, I just have a general bias against ether. I mean, I don't, it's not even. Uh, well, it's like, it's like, let me put it to you this way. The, you wouldn't not buy Lockheed Martin just because they make missiles that kill people. Uh, I don't, I don't see the comparison. Sorry. Well, so with Ether, I mean, you you spoke about uh, Vitalik earlier, and he was like um, about talking about censorship and things oh, like yeah, that. Yeah, right, right. It was like, well, okay, yeah, you know, granted, but then when you, so what was it? Um, uh, I mean, there are a number of of projects on, you know, even like the central bank backed digital currencies. You know, a lot of those these networks that again, central bank back digital currencies aren't i'm not the hugest fan of and there's 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 i think more nefarious reasons for the for the creation of those but a lot of them are going to be built on on technology that is underpinned by ethereum and that while they might be private networks to begin with there's greater security and there's greater um i guess power speed and uh reliability when you roll those out to a broader distributed network around the world. So the, I think there's a lot of underlying opportunity in Ethereum that, that yeah, there's some issues there, there's, but there were some <laughs> issues with Bitcoin earlier on yeah, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I, I think you, uh, you know, yeah, I, I, I'm probably not, I'm probably not coming across all, all that well. I think with, you know, there was one description of Ethereum for me, which, um, which I kind of, uh, which I found actually quite hard to shake. You know, where you got that incredible uh, Ethereum boom during that 2017 period. It got like, what was it, $1,100 or $1,400, right? Um, and, you know, you know, speculators paradise, definitely. But I remember somebody saying about, 
just describing the the mechanism by which that had taken place. So much of that was just from the ICO boom. So because it was so easy to use uh, Ethereum as the network by which you could create uh, a new token, because the, yeah. the network lends itself to that. To that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a great example of the utility which, which Ethereum has, right? Yeah. That uh, yeah. anyone could create a currency. I remember, uh, you know, the great uh, market historian, Russell Napier saying, uh, there are some things that are best left to kids, most of them usually illegal. But whoever would have thought that the creation of currencies was one of them? And it was all ultimately enabled by that, you know, that technology in Ethereum. Um, and, but it was just someone that's, I remember just, I can't even remember who it was, but they were just saying how Ethereum was effectively functioning as those tokens you get at a theme park that you just use to get to the rides. So all of these Ethereum tokens were being created, uh, and you needed to buy Ethereum first before you could mess around in, in, in these altcoins in the ICO space where there were absurd gains going on. Uh, and it was that, that description kind of stuck with me that, you know, so much of what is going on here, people are using, you know, Ethereum is being used as a means to an end here. And it's not an end in itself. People are owning Ethereum in order to get access to the ICOs. And that kind of, that kind of put me off. Uh, well, it, it made me understand Ethereum in a, in a way that uh, I hadn't quite seen before. And it, it did kind of make sense. But of course, it's a very simplistic view. Of course, I mean, when you talk about Ethereum rolling out their, their new, uh, you know, the new network, and Ethereum is ultimately the platform which is trying to drive smart contracts forward. And smart contracts are, uh, you know, are something I see, uh, you know, it's going to have huge utility in the future. Yeah. You know, the more time we're locked down and the more, the more time people are spending in cyberspace, the greater utility you know it's just it's accelerating the push towards the creation of smart contracts in general um Absolutely. But there were, actually there was one thing sam that's kind of a twist well, on this there was well yeah. uh, well if you'd like to if you'd like to yeah so i was just going to probably say so a ethereum's not the only one developing smart contracts so it's oh yeah yeah but it is the biggest. It the biggest. it's it's the biggest because it's sort of one of the well it's the earliest sort of develop development in terms of smart contracts um I think the other thing uh, with Ethereum is you're right. It is somewhat of a means to an end. And the ICO boom particularly showed that at the moment. I think a good way also to perhaps think about it or others that are doing similar things is, so if you think about the current financial system and think about moving funds from one country to another, let's say you want to buy a US stock, for instance, and you're, you're in the UK. And so to do so, you need to register with a broker where you usually have an account fee. So then you also usually have a currency transaction fee, a commission. So there's usually an FX, um, there's usually an issue that, you know, you've got to pay a bit on the FX to change from one currency to the other. Then there's usually a commission on that. And then you've usually got to pay a trading fee. And so I need to fill in the form as well. There's the W, is it the W the, the W8 W eight B N? Yeah. I think so you gotta you'd go through all that, right? But so my what what I'm what where I see the potential of something like Ethereum or, or or whatever the sort of cryptocurrency or crypto network, crypto asset network that ends up sort of taking these reins over, is that those those middlemen fees, charges barriers, all that friction that takes place in between buying a US stock for somebody that's not in the US, 
for example, that doesn't need to be there. There's no reason for that to be there. And that can be either greatly reduced or completely stripped out. Now, if it can't be completely stripped out, that's understandable, but it still can be greatly reduced. And what if those greatly reduced fees didn't go to middlemen, but went to the owners of the network itself? So that's not the banks, that's not the intermediaries, that's not, you know, these, you know, institutions, but it's the people that use the network, like you and me and everybody else that owns a bit of Ethereum effectively benefits from those transactions that take place. Yes, Ethereum is needed to maybe move that stock from, you know, the, the, the registry of the company into your ownership via a smart contract, then a fraction of ETH is needed to make those transactions take place and get recorded. But when you talk about it as a global network, uh, and, and I use stocks, for example, in this, but it could be anything from property to, to, to currency, to fiat currency, stable coins, stocks, whatever it might be, any asset or, or anything that involves some sort of transference or transaction can effectively use this, is that those small transactions, those gas fees, that utility that ETH provides to do that, that effectively requires everybody in the network to have it and it, it creates a distributed value proposition for that network for those things to take place so that the owners of the network benefit from it but so do the people that are using the network to just transfer the ownership of those stocks because it strips out all these costs and frictions that have existed in the old financial system and makes it far more uh far more accessible for everybody and cost effective cost efficient for everybody that takes part in it so my, my take on it is is that we are also on the brink of of changing a lot of the friction and a lot of the convoluted systems that exist today in things like stocks and equities and derivatives and property, um, funds, funds management, asset management, all these sorts of very traditional uh, finance uh, institutions and, and, and transactions that we've been used to and we've been gouged on and, and stripped bare of for so many years. I, I believe that's about to undergo a radical change and it's thanks to these sorts of networks that all of a sudden are starting to be more legitimized and appreciated for, for what they can deliver. Yeah. There's uh, there's a few ways. Yeah. A few, a few sort of directions where we go from there. Cause I, uh, I do agree with it. I mean, I remember uh, I spoke to one of the, uh, one of the guys who managed and this, and this was back in 2017 actually, and this is before the crazy boom. Um, I speak to one of the guys who manages one of the bit, uh, the Bitcoin and Ethereum tracker funds. You know, one of these things that has been uh, delegitimized by the FCA, as we described yeah. this, uh, just in last week's uh, episode. I remember speaking to him, and he said, um, he said to me, you because know, I, I raised smart contracts with him, and he just said, uh, you know, any company, you know, anyone that's doing smart contracts now, just buy it, like just buy it, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's so. They're so early in this thing. Yeah. yeah. Be so big. Whoever did, just just buy it, right? Just buy um, it. And, and that, it's like it, a Nike it, slogan. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, actually. Just buy it. Just buy it. Just but, buy it. Um, yeah, it did, it did sort of speak to the, the, the interest in smart contracts. And, it, and from, you know, smart contracts have remained, from what I can see, they really have remained 
inside the crypto sphere and you know, all of the sort of co-option yeah, yeah. of crypto cbdc's they're not talking about smart contracts right because no. they still want to be the the intermediary ultimately or the authority yeah. which can break a contract um so smart contracts are sort of remaining in the you know in the sort of digital well, uh, the, exchange space. the traditional the traditional institutions that start to employ smart contracts is they're biting off the hand that feeds them why would, so they don't want to do that so it, it is it's these disrupt disruptors and innovators that do adopt it to that that challenge the traditional avenues that we've been used to uh, because it it does it 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 cuts off their gravy train right by the way i i uh, i need to give a review for my third beer i'm now on my fourth <laughs> yeah. This thing, I'm like, I'm sorry, guys, but uh, so Jamplands, I believe, is the name of the brewery. I have a few others from there, so maybe this won't be bad. Maybe this won't be bad. Maybe, well, maybe, maybe the brewery isn't bad. This just what's it called? Jamplands. Jamplands is the name of the of the brewery. This one is 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 English, so it's called uh, Steamer, and and it's the it's a form of lager, and it's called. Halvius Lager, I believe. Uh, definitely butchering the pronunciation there. Again, three point five percent. No, stop it! Really? Yeah, it's actually three point five percent. And this is unbelievable. I'm, I'm trying it right now. We've definitely not got an English translation here, but uh, yeah, Jamplant Steamer uh, smells <laughs> awful. Uh, I'm surprised. I'm surprised this passed the uh, past the you know. The quality check test. Is it, a, is it is a beer, right, though? It, oh, yeah, it's a lager. Uh, it's just really, it just smells like off milk kind of thing. Um, yeah, oh. it's be, uh, a double A, I'm afraid. Uh, but, um, oh. By the way, I think we should, uh, because uh, instead of us simply uh, you know, going over our, our, uh, our brewery rating system, we should probably upload like an image in our, in our cover photo or whatever of our, uh, you know, on, on our Twitter with the uh, sort of description of how the inverse pyramid works. So for anybody who's listening new, uh, we're going for triple B is the best, double B is second best, single B is uh, very good, A is, uh, it's okay, double A is bad, <laughs> and triple A is really bad. So this, this We haven't had a triple A yet, but I feel like in the next few weeks, with you being in Sweden, we might get a triple A. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I don't, I don't want to... I don't want to. Uh, I've only been here a couple of days. Maybe, maybe they're going to show me something cool. And of course, these are just the three point fivers. So maybe when I go to that, uh, you know, the state monopolized <laughs> liquor store, I'm going to find some real gems. Anyway, well, I'm on at the moment one called uh, Falcon Extra Brew, which is thankfully in English. Three point five percent again, and uh, I can't read the description, but uh, yeah, that, that's what I'm drinking at the moment. Sam, there was one thing I wanted to bring up with uh, you know on, on the topic of smart contracts and stuff. Uh, I, I don't think I've actually run this thesis by you uh, in the past, but I've held on to it for, well, I came up with it uh, probably. Oh, I love the thesis. Ago, right? um, anyway, so the, this, uh, this kind of bridge, the, we, we start bridging sort of traditional finance and, um, yeah. and you know, uh, the, the crypto world, but crypto, crypto just, even the word now is, is used almost as a slur, you know, so we use quite it is a, a bit. It's yeah. sort of, Digital asset kind of space. Uh, when you consider yeah. the amount of um, three very clever and very uh, large mainstream investors who, who've taken to mm. it, you know, like, like Paul Tudor Jones, I mean, it is definitely legitimizing it. But there's probably going to be a 
you know, probably going to be a different slogan we'll use for it. Someone hasn't come up. I, with I it. think I think we'll I think we'll wean ourselves away from the term crypto, and I think we'll very much settle on digital assets. Mm, maybe, yeah. I, I wonder if we if we reach sort of the internet 3.0 idea that we'll end up with having new words for things, maybe new yeah. prefixes, new suffixes, and whatever. But anyway, this was just on the on the topic of a kind of smart contract, which I find very very interesting. So this is the atomic swap idea. And the atomic swap allows effectively one individual to or you know one you know one party, but let's say one individual to exchange an asset for another asset with another individual without intermediation, uh, you know, without anybody looking over to make sure that the kids are playing all right, you know, without any authority, no violence, you know, it is uh, completely sort of voluntary, allows them to exchange something with another person with total certainty that they are going to get what they exchanged or they're going to get what they were willing to exchange back. Right? This, or, and it can even be more privileged. You know, the person who enters the, the contract can actually, you know, if, the, if the other party you know, uh, you know, is, is malicious, you know, they can actually end up with what the other party offered as well as what they offered if they, if they try and break it. You know, there's all manners mm-hmm. of interesting rules that can be, can be coded in because it really is just a coding language. It's all digital. There's no, uh, you know, it doesn't require a huge monopoly on force to, uh, to administer. It just needs, uh, you know, a strong network and, and constant consensus and things like that. But the idea of an atomic swap is imagine if, you know, this is something that was, that was done with uh, Bitcoin, you know, ages ago. People were trying to do atomic swaps with Litecoin, sort of the mm-hmm. Bitcoin's, you know, young, young son, you know, viewed as the silver if, uh, if Bitcoin is gold. You know, this is the, 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 the younger brother where all of the, the testing gets on for things like smart contracts. Uh, because the, the network is very similar to Bitcoin and things like that. And people are doing atomic swaps with uh, Bitcoin Litecoin. I've not kept up crazily uh, you know, with the space, but atomic swaps always seem very interesting to me because they are very, you know, if, if you can actually efficiently do it, it, uh, it disrupts so many things, including things mm-hmm. like stock exchange, currency mm-hmm. exchanges, uh, regulatory systems, things like that. If you actually got uh, a purely un, you know, decentralized, no authority required, form of means of exchanging with somebody where you knew that you would either get your money back or you'd get exactly what you asked for. And, you know, if it was a liquid market, then you'd get, you'd, you'd be, you'd reliably get what you wanted. Um, you know, this would, this would create, uh, I mean, it would just, it would change the world ultimately. And so in so many different ways, if you could exchange something for something else, knowing you're, you're, you're protected without needing to pay any kind of tax or fee, Mm-hmm. Um, and anywhere in the world that has an internet connection, well, uh, you know, there is a lot of scope for that. There's more, uh, there's more applications there than I think any individual could imagine. The consequences if that was if that was ruled out in a really big way. Anyway, the the way this uh, this thesis plays in, right, is uh, the city of London. So one of the you know the city of London that the square mile, uh, which is I think yeah, I believe it's actually the world's oldest continuing. Uh, sort of democratic, you know, city-state. You know, it has managed to retain all of its old traditions and everything. Very, very protected. Uh, you know, has its own police force. It's the smallest constabulary in the UK. Um, they've got the whole thing with the aldermen. Uh, got all the guilds. You know, lots of really old-school stuff that 
uh, still works. And so there's all those traditions that are upheld because it still works and you need to you know, keep them going, things like that. City of London is the world is where the entire world transacts in currency, right? So mm-hmm. uh, if you just in terms of the, the raw amount of foreign exchange that takes place in the city of London, you're looking at 40%. It's one of the things I, one of the reasons why you should never really pay attention to people who say that all of the city institutions are going to go to to Paris yeah. and Hamburg, and it was it was completely yeah. when you understand like why the city is is the thing it is. I mean, it's a, it's a great financial center, but it's also on the prime meridian, right? So it's, it's it is in the middle of the world. There's a reason why GMT is is zero exactly. and everything else is either minus or plus. Exactly. Your, your universal coordinate time is all from that prime meridian. And there aren't, you know, unless you want to start setting up a financial center in, you know, Saharan Africa, you're, you're going to have a hard time finding a better place to, to, you know, connect between East and West. So, uh, you know, you've got this, this grand financial center, which is a city, you know, centuries of tradition, centuries of doing good business there. And that's why all the banks are there. Um, and it, you know, clears all the currency. So 40% of FX takes place there. That, that you know, we've managed to get to over 40%. And that was after Brexit. Uh, and nobody wants to go to Paris or Hamburg. They've got all their own regulations, but ultimately they're not on the prime meridian. So, you know, you wouldn't go there anyway. New York, I believe, is tw- takes up 12% of global FX trades, which is, you know, and that's the highest of all the competitors. When you're looking at Paris, it's like 4%. <laughs> you know, it is laughable that people would want to exchange currency, which is, of course, the base unit of all the stuff we're talking about. Uh, anywhere else other than the city, right? You know, if you're, if you're doing the bulk of your business, chances are you're going to do it through a city bank. Uh, so because the world transacts all its currency in London, the idea that Brexit is, you know, somehow going to change that is ridiculous. You know, London's been a financial center uh, for centuries before, you know, like half the countries in Europe were even democracies in the first place. The idea that Brexit <laughs> is going to change is, is, is really quite, uh, quite, well, it's quite stupid. But anyway, in terms of uh, how, how that might change, right? So, you know, the city, you know, what might actually change the city's status? For me, I would, like, the, the only thing I could think of for that, because FX goes all night and whatnot, would be if, you know, if we get all these central banks develop their own digital currencies, so you got yep. digital dollar, digital euro, digital yen, digital sterling, et cetera. Yeah. If there was the, the, the creation of these things and they created a programming language that would allow them to interoperate with each other and you mm. wouldn't require, uh, you know, they wouldn't be contained to their own systems. Mm-hmm. If you could create atomic swaps for those digital currencies, then there wouldn't need to be any exchange, right? There wouldn't actually Correct. need to be an authority in the middle. And that's what nope. the city actually ultimately is because it's all those yep. banks over there. And that, mm-hmm. I think, is the only, that's, to me, the only threat I can really imagine, short of, you know, kinetic conflict and, you know, getting yep. turf bombed or whatever. It's the, it's the rollout of that, atomic swaps for central bank digital currencies. So there's no need to be an intermediary. That's the only yep. thing I can imagine that would actually destroy the city of London status. And what do you yeah, think yep. Yep. No, absolutely agree. I, I, and I, I honestly believe that that is the end game. I, I, that's what's going to, it might not necessarily be in our lifetime, but that mm-hmm. is what is happening is, is there is no need for these intermediaries. There is no need to have, if, if you want to, want to FX change from one to another. There's no reason why it shouldn't be able to be done instantly. It's just that 
for so long, these institutions and these market makers and everybody that's been involved in that whole system has been needed to facilitate those transactions with these sorts of networks and the automation and the, uh, the, the way that we can program and use, uh, you know, the digital world and, and computers to, to, to program all this and to automate all this is that people like a, a market is made of people without the people in the market. There is no market market makers alone do not make the market. People make the market. And if you've got the technology and, and the, the, the systems in place whereby the people that come to the market to buy and sell are the market themselves because of the way that, the, that it's been programmed and automated, there is no need for any middleman. There's no need for any intermediary. There's no need for the city. There's no, if, if a company issues stock and wants to publicly sell it there's really no need for them to have to list on a stock exchange if you want to exchange us dollars to pounds or to uh, one or to uh, the emirati dirham or whatever it is um to, to rupee to australian dollars there is no there really is no point uh, there's, there's no necessity to, for there to be a middleman. There's, there will be other people on the other side that want that inverse trade. And if we can match, if there's a system in place to match those people and to have that done instantaneously, uh, according to the market that exists. I mean, the, what these technologies bring to the table is the, the, the theory, at least, that we can have a purely efficient and effective market of participants without middlemen and intermediaries. And that completely upends the entire financial system that we're used to. And I think that's the really big revolution that's taking place here is that it's in stocks, it's in currency, it's in all these sorts of financial assets is that all of the traditional systems and networks that have had these these frictions, these intermediaries and middlemen that sit in between all these things from taking place that 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 mean T plus two or T plus three has to be the way that you settle stock. That why? Why does that have to be the case? Why does this FX have to, you know, why do we have to pay commissions? And why don't we all get access to wholesale rates and things like that? That's what these things like atomic swaps and like smart contracts can deliver. And that's frankly why I think a lot of the financial institutions and the sort of traditionalists in these networks and systems are so against them because it is literally cutting off their lifeblood. Uh, and that scares the shit out of them. And it's, so it should, because it's also a power shift from these centralized institutions out to everybody who is the real market. And that's people that trade in it. Yeah. I mean, my, my sort of, uh, you know, I, my, play devil's advocate there uh, my my worry i guess would be that when you if you do that that the power simply shifts from the banks uh, well and the, and the financial authorities because it includes the government as well ultimately um but it would shift it then to the the miners ultimately to the people who are running the networks so if the mining is not truly decentralized and you end up with large factions which can in, invalidate through their own processing power certain contracts. You know, if they have 
enough hash power to be able to override certain uh, you know contracts that have taken place and annul them, then that would lead to these you know an entirely new breed of almost too big to fail institutions. You know, the, the, so that's that, that's but so so that's what a decent that's what a they wouldn't be. That's why these proof of stake networks that aren't aren't based on hash power and they're not based on 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 computing power operate is that they decentralize in a way that you can't take control or monopolize the network in such a way and so that that effectively when you have enough participant you reach you reach this threat you reach a threshold of de of decentralization and distribution whereby that can't happen and so you can't get that kind of control when 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 you have a, a, a very thoroughly decentralized and distributed network amongst tens of millions, hundreds of millions, and ultimately billions of people, uh, then you can't corrupt the system. The, yeah, I mean, the, I understand the, I understand like the, you know, that, that is definitely the thesis and that is the, that is the, the reason why these networks are created. But when you look at things like, um, you know, just Bitcoin mining concentration and the, and the power of the, of the mining pools that they have. Yeah. Um, if you applied that to something like, uh, you know, just in terms of, you know, the number of people who own Bitcoin, how many people run a full node, right? So if you're running a full node, you're not actually, you know, you're not receiving any Bitcoin for it. You're just doing your duty to the Bitcoin network uh, to maintain it, right? How many people are doing that? Because I mean, that's what you need. That's what you really need to do when you when you pre to prevent the uh, sort of the monopolization of the market and the, the concentration of yeah. power from yeah, mining yeah. pools. You need people to be actively participating, even if they're not earning a, a return from it. And I don't think we see that as much as, you know, the, 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 the dream is everyone does this, but I don't think we see it enough to the point where you would prevent these concentrations of power from existing. Yeah. I really mean, it's, 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 yeah. it's, Sorry, it's, it's, I mean it's a tricky one, right? I mean, you in Bitcoin in that instance, yeah, because it's it's so computer based or, or ASIC based, is that you? Yeah, again, it, but then it, it does then come down to a economics of scale sort of thing. Uh, in that it costs too much to attack the entire network, that it becomes prohibitively expensive to even try to do it. Um, yeah, yeah, I understand. Yeah, I know the, uh, I, I get the, you know, the thesis that if, uh, especially with something like Bitcoin, if somebody was really going, like, why, if you have enough computing power to be actually to, to try and break the blockchain, you, you just, you just join the blockchain and, and try and earn more Bitcoin than everyone else. Yeah. Ultimately. I mean, yeah. the game theory does, it does work for it. I, I just wonder for, uh, because when you're talking about smart contracts, and you're talking about layers above the network, where it's not, it's not quite so fundamental. Uh, you mm. know, it's not so vital to the the existence of the network for certain, but for smart contracts of various uh, natures to be to be upheld, and it's more about processing transactions. You know, when you reach the secondary layers, there's yeah. less game theory taking place. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what we'll see in in that space is, and and so that a lot of them, like Ethereum, are moving to proof of stake capabilities. And you're right, not everyone's going to want to have to fuck around with running a node or even knowing what a node is or you know staking their ethereum to to be a participant in the network and, and that sort of thing i think what we'll end up with is we'll end up in a situation where it's i think probably a, a more simplistic way to think about it would be that the money that you sit in your savings account 
is effectively working as the node so that you end up with these sort of banks, so to speak, um, where you hold your crypto savings and you earn interest, interest, sort of inverted commas, uh, on your holdings. But in reality, you're actually running a node. It's just that you're not running a node as it's taking care of for you and sort of in the background. And it's that, that your savings or your crypto savings or your crypto assets are the other part that does that. And so you get a rate of return on your participation in that network. And in that sense that everyone becomes a part of the financial system. They're not necessarily um, somebody that is just taking part in it. They are actively contributing to the very security and fundamental operation of that system, which in the sort of traditional world, we, we are all just sort of latched on to, to the rails that run the financial system. And we just sort of are forced to use the mechanisms we have access to. Whereas I think with cryptocurrency networks, we can be those rails with the, the assets that we hold. And that, that I think the development that's coming in this space will enable people to not necessarily have to worry about running a node or knowing how to run a node, but the technology will be provided for them that they can participate in it and reap the benefits without having to have the detailed knowledge of the underlying infrastructure behind it. Yeah. I, I mean, I can, yeah, I, I understand the uh, sort of the, the um, sort of ultimately what is the dream of it. It's just when you say, you know, things are, are being taken care of for you and you don't need to understand it, that you, you know, it all, it implies that there's somebody else who is somehow taking a clip of a ticket kind of like a bank so it's kind of like an, uh, an an intermediary who's then and we we end up with the same kind of problem where you end up with intermediaries and whatever but anyway yeah, uh, I mean, oh, let me just finish with yes that's you could you, that could be how it does end up but it could also be that those systems are programmed and created where there isn't somebody that actually controls it but it's it's an autonomous system that really only benefits you and no other third party so yeah, it's, yeah, and there are I, people I, in the crypto space who are definitely aiming for that. You know, you get a lot of yeah. developers who are in the game, not just to you know make a you know get their own clip of the ticket, but are genuinely trying yeah. to create. A, and a look, I, I get a lot of people that, that come back and say, "Look, that's a bit optimistic and altruistic." You know, the people are people are always in it for themselves, and I think that in the past, perhaps yes, that that line of reasoning. Uh, bites but i think that with the way that the world's progressed and the way that that society is sort of developing the issues that we face and 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 a lot of the things that we are seeing wind out now in terms of the division and 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 issues that people have with you know centralized ruling authority and and all those sorts of things is that we'll probably come to a point where people do more things for the greater good than they do for themselves which does end up benefiting maybe not necessarily the people at the time, but those that come after. And, and I think that maybe we don't give enough optimism. I mean, people in general don't give enough optimism about the good that people can do, not necessarily for themselves, but for others. As we, uh, as we started this with uh, some discussion of the, the US election, I am, I am reminded of the founding fathers and uh, you know, just how many of them ended up dead or destitute after their, uh, after you know they they uh, went to the Declaration of Independence, 
you know, they didn't, it was certainly not something that the majority, well, I don't know if it's the majority, but an awful lot of them didn't, uh, you know, they didn't end up rich or wealthy, despite the fact that they were, they contributed ultimately to what's now, you know, the richest nation on earth, earth ultimately. <laughs> exactly. Which is, uh, yeah, when you, yeah, when you think about it, maybe there is, maybe, well, maybe there is, you know, there's an, a similar kind of spirit of rebellion in the, in the digital asset crowd that, uh, that might bring something like that along. Sam, yeah, look, I, I think I think yeah. In winding up, I think that's what that, that's what that what I'd suggest is that perhaps maybe that um, that we're at a we're at a point where where it's not necessarily about what we can do for ourselves, but what we can do for others. Well, it's a yeah. I would say it's a very very positive note to end <laughs> to end this podcast on, mate. I've uh, I've, I've managed to do four. Uh, this was Falcon Extra Brew. Just has an image of a uh, of as you would imagine a, a falcon's face we've got here. I'm sure if uh, yeah, it's a, an interesting one. It is written in English, though the description is in Swedish. Three point five percent. I would give this one. I would give this one an A. Uh, it it is just a lager, I'm afraid. Uh, Sam, what what about you? What, what how would you rate your second? Uh, so the Keller Pills was actually really nice. The, the smell off the off the bat wasn't great. Um, but after consuming a bit, it was a, yeah, it was a pretty, pretty bog standard, um, sort of lager pills, um, nothing to write home about, but still quite nice. Um, I just give this a, I think I give this a B minus, uh, not, not horrible, not great. Just a good middle of the road beer that you could probably have a couple of and not, not really be fussed either way. So yeah, B minus for, for the Keller pills from lost and grounded. Oh, well, very good. I think by the time we do our, our uh, episode 22, I think uh, you know, we might actually, well, maybe we'll know who the election winner is. I mean, if this, maybe. Thing, is, if this thing is going to the courts, I mean, it'll probably take longer than that, right? Um, which leads itself to all, all manner of possibilities. But maybe we will know by, by next time. Uh, but if you want to listen to this, thank you very much for listening to the 21st episode of Booze, Booms and Month. Sweet 21. Indeed, we shall be back again with number twenty-two, uh, one way or another. Maybe I'll have managed to source some of uh, some of the harder stuff from. Yeah, see Sweden. if you can find some good Swedish beers. <laughs> yeah, I'll see, I'll, I'll see what the uh, what the teetotalers have got for me after they get down to that government-issued liquor liquor store. <laughs> exactly. Thank you very much for listening to this. We shall be back next time. And in the meantime, I hope you're having a good time. If you're in lockdown, uh, I hope you're surviving and you're amply stocked with uh, with your own supply of booze but that's us for the moment we'll be back next week see you later